A quick warning, this episode contains some strong language. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Cult Hackers. I'm Celine, a media graduate and interested in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather, organisational psychologist and a former member of a high control group, otherwise known as a cult. So today's a special episode because it's the first of what we hope is going to be a series that we're calling The Podcasters, <laughs> where we talk to fellow podcasters who are also in this space exploring cults coercive control, conspiracy theories, and the like. Uh, so we're quite excited about who we've got today. So who have we got today on the show, Celine? So today we have Dr. Clint Haycock, an ex-evangelical from the Mindshift podcast. So welcome, Clint. And we also have Frankie Tees, a survivor from the Morningland Church from the Frankie Files podcast. Great. Thank you very much. And uh, we're hoping to have another guest um bit later so if that happens and we'll introduce that extra guest if not then um you'll never know uh, you'll never know we'll keep it a secret until next time um okay so we we thought this would be quite a nice idea just to get us all together um to i don't know about you um guys but i i feel like i've learned a lot over this period of, of doing the podcast and and i thought maybe that would be a good place to start you know what what have we learned? So I think we're, we're all, uh, we've all got our own stories, obviously, um, you know, Clint from Ex-Evangelical, um, Frankie from Morningland, uh, I'm Ex-Jehovah's Witness. So we all have an, an experience, but we're talking to lots of other people as well. So what what are the standout things that we've learned? Uh, so maybe, Clint, I'll, I'll start with you. I would say the standout thing that I learned when I started doing this podcast about five or six years ago was when I started studying cult psychology, cult tactics, and that kind of thing. And then I began to realize the universal nature, group to group to group, religion to religion to religion. So I've talked to many people that have come out of different high control groups. Depending on the name, doesn't really matter. What you find is not only are the tactics and the psychology very, very similar, if not virtually identical, the whole sort of religious trauma syndrome that comes out of it on the back end, the shunning, the disfellowshipping, whatever you want to call it in your particular group. So we all have a lot in common. That's probably one of the biggest standout things I think I've learned over the over the years. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of us would uh, would agree with that I certainly recognize that what about you Frankie yeah guys well it's been about a year of speaking out and doing the podcast so I'm I'm pretty new you're way ahead of me on this um but yeah it's one thing I've learned is that I want to focus on the cult kids the adult who are dealing with having gone to a cult or religion or born in we have a hundred percent different experience this is really what's um, motivating me to keep going, to bear the wounds, to, <laughs> you know, to do this sledging through the forest. And that the public really has no idea about the enclosement that takes place. That's another thing. Um, and then, you know, I've talked to about 12 or 15 uh, interviews so far. And so, uh, guys, I'm coming from a new age religion. So 
you know, it's also underrepresented and so is cult kids. And that's what I'm finding out here. There's a lot of voices for very popular cults, but I am here to say size does not matter. The damage is still the same. You know, and, and Dr. Lalich talks about those one-on-one -on -one cults and they're going crazy on the internet right now. So yeah, I'm motivated to speak out because it's the 50th anniversary of my cult Morning on community rebranding themselves, and and that's what brings me to the table. That's interesting. So I, I think um, there's something that's quite interesting happens, and I feel like it's something we've come across. So everybody's experience is somehow very personal, very individual, but also we recognise so many of the similar things that that seem to happen in most groups. Um, or in a lot of groups anyway. So we keep hearing these themes come over and over and over again, which I think for me has been something I've learned is that it, whether it's a, a group that's based in Christianity or, or New Age or even commercially um, founded sorts of groups, they still use the same sorts of techniques or at least many of the same or similar techniques. So we can talk to each other and, and recognise that you know we we all have some similar experiences yeah i would agree very... with that for sure um okay so um we're very happy that elgin straight has joined us um on this episode tonight elgin has a podcast called falling out and elgin you're uh, an ex mooney you were raised in the the group so um welcome to the podcast elgin thank you it's a pleasure to be here nice to see you again great <laughs> Um, we, we've really just started the conversation and one of the things that we the first question we asked really was what what we think we've learned um from our time doing these podcasts see we've all got our own stories um but we're talking to lots of different people so um you know Clint was saying how there's lots of similarities and Frankie was saying it's very very personal journey so these two things um are quite different and yet you know somehow we recognize, similarities and differences in our experiences what what are your thoughts what what have you learned elgin from your time doing the podcast um i was thinking about this before coming in so um for me i think because my show is specifically talking to people who grew up in the same cult as me that's 95 percent yeah. of it basically uh i'm learning a lot about myself uh in in two ways part of it is just kind of like the the history um about myself and sort of piecing together there are like these moments in time where someone was in the room in the 80s and they they talk about something that happened and I'm like oh i was like in the same room or you know something like that like and it's sort of creating this joint um like this joint tapestry almost of of just like historical references that most of us don't have because we, this information is not easy to come by um, and then the second thing is, um, I feel like as every conversation I do, I learn something more about myself and how I relate to the world. Um, so for instance, at least one of my conversations we had, someone was talking about sort of having a enhanced fight or flight, uh, response, uh, due to what we, what we endured as kids. And as soon as they said that, I was like, oh man, that explains like so much about me. Like I know I can think of a hundred times when that's happened to me in my life. So I learn more about myself. And I think that makes me better able to, to deal with the world basically um, because I understand those, those mechanisms. 
That's really interesting. What What are your thoughts on that, Celine? Yeah, because obviously, from our point of view, it's different in the sense we host the podcast together and it's your personal story of growing up and being in it. And I guess my side of it is um, being shielded from it and, and being part of why you chose to leave. So it's a different kind of story for me. There's, in terms of personal story, like there's the weird links that you have, even though you're not, you weren't raised in it. Um, you still have a weird link to the group because it affected, you know, your parents. So you still, there's things going on that wouldn't be going on if there hadn't ever been a cult involvement in the family life. Um, so that's interesting. Or uh, we were talking recently about how I'm actually glad that we started doing the podcast because it took away some of the control that I didn't even realize the group had with me, even though you'd think it wouldn't have anything. Cause I used to get worried when dad would be listening to um, content, like the content we make, <laughs> I would get worried when he was listening to this content. Cause I thought it's going to stir up negative emotions and, and we don't want to deal with that. We just want to keep doors shut on that. <laughs> and I don't want to get that opened up and that be a thing that we're, dealing with you know what I mean I was like well scary and I don't want to um I'm worried about it affecting I guess the goodness of being out <laughs> um so that was I guess a realization afterwards because I didn't realize I was doing that because I remember we had a conversation and you just were very like why is it mad I'm engaging with this content you know yeah you, you were trying to stop me weren't you you, you yeah. didn't like it because it, it brought a sort of certain um I don't know, a bit of a downer really to the mm -hmm. whole uh, vibe of, of, of the family when I'm, when I'm sort of listening to some of this stuff and then talking about some of my feelings about it. And um, the podcast has allowed us to do that. I think uh, Elgin's made a really interesting point there about the effect it has on us. So, you know, we've learned something about other people's experiences, but um, uh, Elgin's suggesting, I definitely concur with this, that it helped us understand ourselves a little bit more, which kind of wasn't what I expected. Um, I don't know whether, mm. Frankie or Clint, you, you feel that. I got into this to help myself, to be okay. very honest. And there wasn't any cult kid voices that I heard speaking that resonated with me. And that's only because I was so segregated and isolated that I didn't know y'all were out here, for one. But also, New Age religion is in this pocket of what? You know, people laugh at it and everything. Meanwhile, the deadliest cult in the United States was New Age religion. Guess what it was? Heaven's Gate. So, yeah, I'm here to say that stuff like that. No big deal. Just a small downer. <laughs> like you say, uh, but the stick taking the stigma out of it is fun. Is it not? Mm. That's yeah. rewarding. I like this because then you realize, look at all these other people. Look at this millennial. Oh, wait, Slimwood, I don't know what category anymore, you know, like, but this young person <laughs> who's cult adjacent, cult saved. And then I spoke with a Synanon kid who was just like you. She wasn't in. Her parents left at birth. Then she realized all that her parents had survived in Synanon, Sari Crawford, the host of, of Sunshine Place, an amazing story. So she, like you, is bringing this wisdom of the generation that didn't get stuck in there. Mm -hmm. Loving that too. 
I guess it's one of those things that it's not for everybody. So I think um, it very much depends on where you are on your journey. Um, I think for some uh, podcasters and YouTubers, um, it can it can be a lot to try and process everything in front of of an audience of viewers or followers. And um, I, I've seen some of those people struggle. So I think it's something that obviously, oh, if you yeah. want to do it, that's great. But also it's important to make sure it's it's the right thing for you i was there sometimes when i'm just like i need a break and i take a break yeah. for months basically because yeah. I'm, I'm done and then i'm just like i just decide okay that's when the season's over uh and i'll come back <laughs> yeah. to it whenever whenever because because I, I have to make that call because um, it is relate. difficult yeah that, that's really interesting uh, and so i suppose um frankie and elgin you have seasons i can't remember clint do you do you have seasons on your podcast mind shift i guess i do i mean i just go year round pretty much every two weeks but yeah in theory i do i do yearly you know seasons so this year i'll be starting another season i guess in january you know this this next episode that's coming up so you don't have breaks or anything like that what, yeah what? i'm taking a break right now I'm, okay. I'm coming back mid because i've been moving house and starting a new job and um doing a really deep dive i've been doing some two plus hour episodes on a particular Christian pastor in the, in the United States. And it's taken a huge amount of time, but it's proven to be rewarding in the feedback that I've gotten. Cause a lot of he's, he's become very mainstreamed in evangelicalism. And so I'm kind of lifting the lid on some of the stuff. So it, yeah, I need, I needed a break from that for sure. Uh, and Clint's really interesting because you started your podcast um, as a pastor or you started a podcast yes. as a pastor, didn't you? And um during that process we um obviously i wasn't a listener in those days but um you talked to us on on our pod and um, mm -hmm. yeah you, you went through that journey on online i did i kind of deconstructed live i was actually it wasn't a pastor at the time but i had been in the states and i was um, a bible college teacher up in leeds and liverpool in this country for about seven or eight years and that's when i started the show it was originally called the preachers forum and it was kind of a progressive podcast. But then as I deconstructed down the road, I realized I couldn't sustain that anymore. So I changed the name of it. I just declared myself an ex-evangelical. I was no longer a Christian. So yeah, that was part of the podcast itself was definitely part of that journey for sure. Wow. I didn't realize that happened like live. Amazing. Like, mm -hmm. That's that's pretty cool. It was really, yeah, looking back on it now, it was. And, and like we're like we're talking about, it was meeting people. I think one of the biggest breakthroughs, I met a guy called Chris Shelton. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's yeah. an ex-Scientologist, 17 years, grew up in it and everything. And one of the first podcasts I did with him several years ago, we were shocked to discover how many things uh, fundamentalist Christianity and Scientology had in common in terms of cult tactics, cult psychology, like I was saying before. And comparing notes with Chris, I walked away from that episode and said, my God, I mean, this cannot be an accident. This is universal, like I said, across group to group to group. You know, you read things like Robert J. Lifton and other, you know, Yanya Lalich, and you realize there's a ubiquitous nature to the same tactics that groups use. What's it like to go from preaching to preaching a different doctrine? I'm always afraid when I do research essays that I'm accidentally being the preacher I was trained to be in this new new age religion. I'm like, okay, take it down a notch. <laughs> but do you feel like you excommunicated the church out of your preaching? How's that feel that, for you? That's for Clint, I guess. Yeah. 
Oh, for me? Yeah, I yeah, think that's I, for you, Clint. Oh, you said, you said my I, name, Frankie. Yeah, I think, your name's yeah, Mike. Yeah, no worries. Going, yeah, going back to things we've learned in the, in, in the podcast, another ex-Scientologist I spoke with, John Atak, you may be familiar with him too, but he's out of Nottingham area in this country, but he said to me something, we were talking about reconstructing, sort of rebuilding your authentic self after you leave the group. And he said, one of the best tips I can give people is, you know, you, you go back in your previous life in the religion or group that you're a part of, take the most positive things you can out of that and leave the rest. So he said, for in my case, for example, I was trained as a preacher, as, a, as an academic, as a theologian, a biblical scholar. So for me, I use those skills to do research, I can I can speak the language. I know the language of evangelicalism. Even on this example of this episode I'm doing right now, is a guy called Doug Wilson out of Moscow, Idaho, which is up in the North Pacific Northwest. I understand exactly what they're talking about. So for me, I use those skills that I learned, the critical thinking and the biblical theology and all that, to good use. I'm still putting it to good use, although not for the purposes that I trained for as a pastor and a Bible college teacher. But I don't feel like it was a waste of time on that front. Whereas I think a lot of people are quite bitter and angry about the time they spent in the group or the cult, Mm -hmm. but there are things that are salvageable that are still positives. Even then you can come away and say, yes, I learned some things. I just have to figure out what they are. Amen. Hmm. I'm preaching it now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And to pass the plate. (laughs) Elgin, what about you? Um, What what are you using that you've learned? Well, I would just say I I might have a slightly different perspective on that um, because I never I never chose any to be a part of this thing at all. So um, I think that makes me potentially more likely to just completely discard everything about it. Uh, And even though I accept that there I did there were positive things, I did learn skills along the way that are valuable. Um, My initial instinct is just no fuck everything every shred of it just burn it basically um but it's interesting hearing that from you guys because i i logically i know like i did learn some valuable stuff some valuable skills so i can't do all that but i just have this like incendiary initial reaction of just like nope it's all it's all bad just get rid rid of it all Well, elgin true confession 35 years of silence so yeah i did that too yeah (laughs) yeah well, and I'm like like it. I was saying though, and Elgin's get both and Frankie and I and, and Stephen and Celine, we know the language. We know the lingo, the loaded language, as Robert Lifton would say. So therefore, if nothing else, one positive is that we can speak to people who are still in it because yeah. we know the system, we know how yeah. it works, we know how it functions. Yeah. So if nothing yeah. else, there that's a positive as I see it now. We can deconstruct that system mm-hmm. because we've been there we've done that even though we we have a lot of religious trauma i mean i was i'm like you elgin i was born into it too i was mm-hmm. raised in fundamentalist christianity okay. so i didn't have a choice either yeah i got into s- academics i think now i see it because it was a way to kind of get my own head straight and to be able to explain it to other people in a way that avoided the religious trauma that i had when i was a kid mm-hmm. you know so i think that was kind of my motivation for getting into teaching and pastoring and all that kind of thing so yeah it's just different perspectives isn't it yeah so in yeah. this group um you guys all were born in and i was there at eight 
from eight to 22. So pretty similar, okay. but not quite That's, as yeah. extreme. And also, of course, I was coerced into the clergy and then left with a dollar in my pocket. So it was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a combo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely understand both um, both those um, and it's almost like you hold them both at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if somebody said to me, could, would you like to not go through that? I would say, yeah, yeah, please. You know, I'd, I'd prefer not to have that upbringing and all the wasted time and all of that, 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 you know, exercises you from time to time. And, you know, that the trauma, the experiences you've had. But um, when you receive a, a message, like I'm sure you guys, get this as well you know you receive a message in your inbox that says look it's really helped me thanks ever so much for what you're doing you know it's it's really important and i think like you're saying clint the fact that we have that language that we can actually talk about it and um yeah i think that that does that does make you think well actually let's let's do something useful with this mm-hmm. um despite the pain so yeah but it's true it's true and I, I wouldn't um criticize anybody however they feel because obviously whatever you feel is absolutely valid so if at the end of it you don't want to say anything good about it i i definitely get that too you know i think that's absolutely fine um your experience is definitely your own um all right well that's that's a great start um just ask one question and um got so many interesting responses shall i shall i go for another one uh let's do another question um so don't make this big (laughs) <laughs> the, the next thing i wanted to just i suppose not clear up but just um open the can of worms which is the definition really of of a cult um it's something i'm sure we've all done on our podcasts at various points you know what is the definition of a cult as soon as you get invited onto somebody else's podcast they ask you that question as well don't they um after talking about this for a year or two years or more um what's your how do you explain that to people? How would you define a cult, or do you not use that word? Um, let's start I with do. you. We'll start with you then, Frankie. Basically, I'm with Dr. Lawlish, a sealed-in group. That's the one I settle on the most yeah. uh, because I've experienced the sealed-in, you know, aspect where you suddenly have no contact with your family. You suddenly have no, you know, and she was in political and I was in religious and I see almost equivalent. So it doesn't matter if it's self-help, religious, uh, you know, one-on-one beauty, whatever yoga, it's going to be a sealed in group that you're not supposed to talk about what's going on. And that leads to secrecy and that leads to all of the future problems. So while that's, uh, you know, simplified, I think that if we could just get the public to know that it's a sealed in group, that's a start. Okay, great. That's a good start. Um, Elgin? I think um, just a couple of thoughts. Uh, I I agree with everything Frankie said. Um, I think um, when I think of it, I think of, um, something that that's sort of a totalist a, a totalist um structure for your life in, in in a way kind of like seeks to seeks to answer every question uh seeks to be there for anything that you that you need in in your life um i but I, it, one of the things i think actually underpins underpins that and it kind of kind of goes to a to a deeper level is um 
and any any group that thinks they have some sort of secret knowledge uh, that that you know that, that that separates them from the outsiders. That for me, that's the trick right there is mm-hmm. the secret knowledge that separates you from the outsiders because that that's the, the the mental fence that once you cross it enables all kinds of abuse basically. Um, so for me, I almost feel like that's the underpinning def- definition. And I, I had a conversation with someone earlier this year who used the definition that included a few things, but one of them included a, a figurehead, uh, you know, a leader. And and whilst I think that is true in 95% of cults, I, I, I think these days it's changing with the internet. Um, so if you look at something like QAnon, there it's hard to define exactly. Maybe Q is the leader, but not really. Um, you know, no one really knows who Q is, although there's some very strong speculation. Um, but um, I almost feel like the leader is not necessarily a prerequisite for the cult to exist anymore. But that that concept of secret knowledge absolutely permeates QAnon, uh, and I think any other cult. So that for me, that's the real kind of litmus test. Yeah, that's that's another really important feature. Um, Clint, what about you? Well, yeah, I mean, we could look down the academic route because obviously there's some really good definitions of cults like Dr. Yon Yalalich, Margaret Singer. Uh, one of my favorites is you know, Robert J. Lifton. I've mentioned him already. That was a book that really changed my life, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, because not only does Lifton define cults, he goes through and talks about eight markers of cults as well as the psychological effects of each one. On, on our psyche, our psychology, and he talks about the same thing that Elgin was mentioning, you have some element of some sort of charismatic leader, some process of thought reform, life change, you have to be a part of that group to do that thing, whatever it is they're promising, enlightenment or the Scientology bridge or, or whatever the goal is, in their case, obviously, L. Ron Hubbard and others, and then you have some form of exploitation of the members, but I agree 100%, I mean, I read the book cultish with what Elgin was saying if you've read Amanda Montel's book and she talks about there's a lot of groups that are not necessarily defined they don't fit out those three criteria that Lifton lays out that like QAnon is a good example Q they they don't know who Q is even to this day but yet all the markers seem to fit of a cult or a lot of them and so I think Amanda Montel might say it's cultish I mean you could be a CrossFit member or a Peloton Mm -hmm. member and become involved yes. in a very cult-like sort of mm-hmm. context. And that's not a religious thing, but, you know, it could be anything from um, a, psych- a psychologist manipulating you a one-on-one type thing, like what happened to Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, you know? So th- we are susceptible on so many levels, I think. Yeah, that's um, that's great. Um, Celine, you're, uh, as somebody that's that wasn't raised in a, in a cult, mm-hmm. um, what's your perspective on that? If I'm... Coming at it, the sort of point of view I was coming from thinking is if you're engaging with all this media, reading these books, because you're wondering if your group is a cult, <laughs> it's a good sign. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you're reading uh, these books <laughs> and and looking for the the to tick off some features, then maybe it is, um, uh, or at least it's cause it, at least it's not good. <laughs> you I, know what I mean? Yeah, and I also think like if the if the group has ever. Um, done anything to try to inoculate its its members against the, the term cult, that mm-hmm. is a absolutely telltale sign. If they've ever said anything like, oh, they say we're cult, but we're not because of X, yeah. just yeah. that is a that is a hundred percent a cult. Biggest like, red flag. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just jumping on what Elgin said, you know, the other thing is this us versus them mentality. Because I think like for evangelicals, 
it's hard to classify that as a cult. It's it's not a monolith. There's not one mm. single leader. It's a worldwide phenomenal phenomenon. Yeah. So, but it does it does display many aspects of cultic behavior. And a lot of Christians do feel they're they're indoctrinated to feel like it's us versus the world. And mm. anytime you start to see that those kind of tactics, you know, you should start having red flags, I think. That they're all really good, um, good good areas to uh to use i think to point to um uh, for me it's um i think it's that the the coercive control um and the use of power and that the way that the systems are created within these groups to facilitate that exploitation of these individuals so again i think yaniel alich talks a lot about it's about labor it's about exploiting people and these groups mm-hmm. do that through coercive control so for mm-hmm. me, that's that's the that's the thing I'm concerned about, and and you're quite right. This can be just a, a couple, you know, a, a relationship, or it can it can be a group with eight and a half million people um, in it. So, and the yeah. one that raises the flag for me is the mentors, youth mentors, sports, everything. Like that's exactly how my my abuser posed as my mentor, my spiritual mentor. Mm-hmm. So what what you've got there is is a power differential, and um, that there's lots of power differentials in in the world, isn't there? And I I guess the hard thing is to um, so there's nothing wrong in wanting to help a mentor somebody, but it does increase the risk that there could be exploitation. So that's where the checks and balances and the responsible things need to be done, and which is why we are so keen for groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and so on to have professional processes where you DBS check people, you make sure mm-hmm. people have the right qualifications and you also bring in um, the authorities if there's any sign of any issue. Yeah. So there's protection for these, for, mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. To work in certain you sectors, are... you have to do checks and they don't do that in their realms. Like just to yeah. work in finance, you have to prove you've never been bankrupt. Do you know what I mean? So um maybe these people that are going to start taking people's money should check if they've had bankruptcies and this is just a, a nice plan you know um yeah. people hand, working with children should be checked that they are safe to work with children it's a very bare minimum but Absolutely. an important reason we want to talk about it hello listeners my name is casey host of the cult vault podcast a long format interview-based show that focuses on cults high demand groups captive organizations and more. Each week, I interview a different cult survivor who brings a story of coercion and exploitation along with their own fight for freedom. With nearly 200 survivor interviews from all over the world, you can also find deep dives into infamous cults, interviews with leading experts in the field, and understand more about how cults exist all around us and none of us are safe. Each month, I feature a different author on the show who has penned a compelling memoir about their cult experiences, which we discuss at length on the show, with copies of their books available to listeners. You will never be short of insightful and moving content here at the Cult Vault Podcast, available on all major platforms. Things we want to challenge, that's that's one of the most interesting questions, I think. So we've uh we we've been talking about this now different lengths of time but um i guess there's a lots of different opinions out there there's lots of um 
prevailing wisdom and so on. Is there anything that you've come across over the period doing the podcast when you've been speaking to people that you thought, you know, that's something I think we really need to maybe challenge, push back on. This is something I, I, I don't agree with or that I, you know, that, that I think is a, is a problem um, that is not being understood fully. So any areas that you think you've got a bit of a, a kind of beef about that you think we should actually do better with as in like beef with people we've interviewed no or, not or... with individual well i mean you can you can spill the the beans if you want to elgin but that's not really what exactly. I'm there's none of that, that doesn't <laughs> exist not there now. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm thinking so I'll, I'll talk i'll talk about what i'm thinking about first. yeah that cool might, yeah might give us an example explain, please yeah. give me an example okay so one of the things that i you know i i really admire a lot of the people in this space the academics and the people that work in um, in opposing cults and trying to bring attention to these groups and so on. Um, but I feel like there's a there's quite an emphasis on the sort of therapeutic side of this question. And so lots of the people that write books come at it from a point of view that is they have been uh, therapists or their counsellors and they've met a lot of people who have come out of these groups. And so their perspective is about helping people make sense of their lives afterwards and and get better. So these are mental health professionals who absolutely have a big part to play in this. We need to listen to what they say because they've listened to lots and lots of people. They've spoken to people. They understand the way that people tell their stories. But from a scientific perspective, that's only a small part of what you'd want to do to understand a phenomenon. It's like saying, let's try to understand what it's like to work in a factory only by listening to people's experiences of working in a factory. You know, there's other things you'd want to do to understand what happens in that that area. You know, you might want to go and observe what's happening. You might want to even do experiments to see how people respond to certain uh, different stimuli in these different situations. But we don't really have much of that research. So most of the research into cults is done by people who are either um, counsellors, psychotherapists, mental health professionals. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we also need other disciplines to, to look at it. The only other discipline, I guess, is sociology, but sociologists often take a very... Right benign view of these groups and in some respects have created a, a belief that actually there's nothing to worry about you know these are just new religious movements and there's no problem so i feel like there's a big gap in the scientific study of what actually goes on in cults what are the psychological processes that are going on in these organizations and we we don't know enough about that so that's one of my particular um hobby horses i suppose that i like to, to to bang on about from time to time so it's stuff like that really i don't know if you you've got anything like that that you've got thoughts about i'll go i'll bite yeah go for it frankie i just did a rant in a private area so i won't get eaten alive like a piranha by a piranha school online <laughs> and it says <laughs> the cult recovery and psych industry needs reform or i'm not a guinea pig so pretty hot take. And I got to tell you that I went to only a few psychologists who I embarrassed myself by crying 
for an hour, you know, and then paid. It's like, this is humiliating. I'm not doing this. So I went on a journey to, uh, to read and you can find help in a myriad of ways. And I understand we need to under, you know, interact with humans. But I think what's really missing, like you said, it's the push of who's the experts and, and you know, authors and lecturers and researchers. This is all legitimate. I'm all like when I first started speaking out, where's the cool kids? Where is the knowledge? The, as Lifton says, survivor knowledge. So here it is in amongst this group. This is where the survivor knowledge is. What I think is missing is the voice of the people who grew up in the cults. We, I don't know if you noticed, we'll hear so much more in the media about someone who just went to a cult and got out, an adult. Mm. The, the, the stories passed over because they're too damn gruesome is our stories. Like the kid was ruined. No one wants to hear it. Okay, well, I'm here to say it anyway. And I yeah. think that's my biggest beef. It's like, you can't tell me what I went through. You didn't even know. You weren't there. And I get really upset. You know, online, I feel shamed by these mm. people on Twitter and whatnot. There's no place for me. And that's like one of my peeps, the victim shaming. This is an industry, the recovery. So money drives it, right? Follow the money. And I follow the money and I'm like, it doesn't go to the cult kid. That's what I figured out so far, guys, in this true crime history. We, we're we not getting the cash. HBO is. Netflix yeah. is getting it. And author uh, lit agencies and stuff. What? How can we change that and flip the script? This is where the knowledge is. We survived. We went to the abyss and survived and came out uh, like young Andrew Pledger just did. Deconstructing publicly. Wow. The audacity and the strength of people doing this cannot be underestimated. And I, I would like to continue to offer a platform on my show for cult kids. Focus, you know? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I, I want to come back on that a little bit. But before I do, um, Elgin or, or Clint, is there anything else? There I've, that got, you I've, got, I've got a long list. Go, go for it. <laughs> um, so... Uh, yeah, so Frankie touched on a lot of a lot of pieces. Um, I think well, number number one, yeah, I, I think like one thing that is in desperate need of reform, and you 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 mentioned this, Stephen, or uh, this the sociologists who are who look at it as this, this sort of benign problem. These new religious movements. Uh, meanwhile, people like the, the prominent people in those field, like Eileen Barco or Barker and Massimo Introvigne, think I pronounced his, his name right. They're taking money from the fucking cults. They're they're taking money and then they're they're appearing at their events and they're then writing these like, oh, it's fine, it's harmless, nothing happened. I visited them and I didn't get brainwashed, therefore it's fine. Mm-hmm. Honestly, fuck that. Fuck them. They have no fucking ethics. I'm sorry. I'm gonna please keep all these F words in if you can, because th- th- they Ooh. are horrible people for doing that. Like the amount of abuse that Barker and Introvigne have have enabled in this world is awful fucking awful they should be ashamed of themselves they should be disbarred from whatever fucking professions they're in get them get them the fuck off the stage like they they are horrible horrible people sorry excuse me that's one <laughs> one right there <laughs> Square full. but they one. and they make money off of it and laugh at us at the same time i'm with yeah 
Yeah, yeah, they make money. My my dad was flying Eileen Barker around to, to Mooney conferences back in the 70s. Guess where that money came from? Came from it came from my labor trafficked parents. Um and and the labor trafficked parents of thousands of other kids. Um that's that's how that's how that works. So, yeah, like I think that is in desperate need of of reform. If you're going to write anything about this, you need to disclose any money that has been given to you by anyone in this entire ecosystem. Um, then you can, then you have a seat at the table. But until then, you're, what you say is worthless and at best worthless, and in reality, very, very damaging uh, for for normalizing Amazing. abuse. Um, that so that that is in desperate need of reform, I think. Um, and I think to Frankie's point, I do think like the. Um, the you're you're right there are a lot of people who've written books and a lot of a lot of experts in this field that are focused on recovery and and one thing that i that i do wish that kind of to echo your point frankie like i i wish they would work with us kids who grew up in this place mm -hmm. uh to help um to help elevate our voices uh but that is that is not something that i've seen and that's kind of why i started the show was because no one was no one was doing it. Uh, to, your, to your point, Frankie. Yeah, no one, no one was doing it, um, and I felt like it needed it needed to happen. Uh, and then, and yet, here's four cult kids right here. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, how have they silenced these voices? Don't get me, you know, yeah. too upset yeah. here because it's so sad to me. It's a lemming, but I do think it's kind of like what you said. It's money enabling. Uh, so, of course someone would wish to silence that, which is not the question we're on. Apologies for the emotional, but I'm telling you, it's hard to get the nerve to speak up and then see yourself being silenced. Mm. Um, yeah, it is absolutely the point. Um, thank you uh, both. Uh, Clint, have you got any insights um, here? Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of riding off with something Elgin said, although I'm talking about evangelical Christianity, whereas you're coming out as an ex-Mooney, but for me, my perspective on Christianity has changed probably over the last five or six, seven years, where I was initially focused on just me deconstructing, talking to other people who were also deconstructing and rebuilding our lives after leaving Christianity. But then I saw that series, The Family, on Netflix by mm -hmm. Jeff Charlotte. Yeah, now, it. that completely changed my perspective on Christianity because I, re I started to realize something i researched it. it's called dominion theology and this is a, a a driver behind much of what the christian right in america is doing not just in the states but indeed around the world and they're pushing an agenda and therefore it's damaging and that's that's where i've changed my perspective i think it's a dangerous movement because for example in the, in the united states we've got things like well they just overturned roe versus wade now that's all a long-term strategy on the part of the christian right to take dominion over the world and to rule yeah. the world. And it's not a joke. It's not something that's like some mm. conspiracy theory. They've, they've actually enacted their policy. This is a decades-long strategy. So I feel like for me, I'm speaking out about this dominionist, this Christian right uh, movement that's been going on for a very long time. And like you like you said, it's dangerous. It's actually dangerous. We're, it's it's restricting the, the rights of, of millions of Americans, and they've got plans to take away LGBTQ rights, yeah. not just in America, but around the world. So uh, I'm, I feel like I'm speaking out and I'm very frankly concerned about what's going on. Uh, and I'm doing my part to get the word out. 
Yeah, that's um, that that's a, that's a, a slight you know a whole higher level of um, so we're talking about kind of civilization level danger here. Um, so not just the danger to individuals and, and groups, but um, ways of of trying to influence a whole nation, the most powerful nation on the earth, um, to become essentially a fundamentalist state. Um, it's more than that, isn't it, Clint? Um, so the the seven mountains dominion. Dominionism mm-hmm. is is a and it's not it's not under I mean it, it it's quite visible isn't it it's not under a shroud you can see the websites of these organisations that said this is what oh, we're trying to do yeah. you, know? uh, you saw we, it during the Trump era most yeah. most clearly that's what a lot of people were shocked into re- realizing what was going on here when you saw the rabid evangelical support for Trump and really they saw him as a figure that could help them achieve that dominion. And that's yeah. why they overlooked all of his glaring faults and flaws. And they, in a way, they did win because he, for for example, he appointed so many judges, so many Supreme yeah. Court judges. That's the strategy that allowed them to overturn Roe versus Wade. You know, so they're, they are winning on some level, yeah. you know, so it is an actual dangerous thing that's happening. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's such a, an interesting and disturbing um, topic. And you, uh, you alerted me to that. Uh, Clint, uh, I'd not heard of it. Um, then I too also watched that documentary, guys. If you've not watched it yet, is I think it's still on Netflix. It, as you say, it's called Sorry. The Family. Yeah, it's uh, great. Yeah, yeah. it's like and, a reinterpretation of Jesus, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and this um, this prayer morning prayer meeting thing that they do in the states with the president attends and everything. It's yeah, it's just staggering, really, that it's it's already part of the you know the machinery of government you know you can you can see what they're doing okay well that's that's really interesting celine um uh, what are your perspectives on that you know things that we need to challenge we've we've had some Mm. really interesting comments there yeah um i mean top of the list is always what um has already been said is um what elgin was saying about those particular sociologists air quotes um doing what they're doing that's something that we got we, do, we have a podcast getting annoyed about it um so it's just when you spend when you spend you know a lot of time listening to people's stories and people getting you know opening their hearts up and saying the awful things they've gone through and someone goes well actually it's not a big deal and don't it's it you just kind of like can't help but be angry yeah. right um yeah so that's obviously always at the top of the list so um there's that and then for me other things that doing the podcast I feel more passionate about than I guess I would have if not is um talking more about the kids in terms of school and their access to school and that we need to have some (laughs) systems in place to stop kids being just whipped out of the system and kind of it's it's just kind of terrifying to me where that you can just be taken out of school and effectively be taught whatever and there's no actual requirement that you sit any exams you just need to be in some form of education whatever that is decided as up to 18 in the UK but that doesn't mean that they're learning the syllabus they just have to say that they're learning something and that's up to the parents so that's something that concerns me because in terms of leaving in the future you know because that's always the hope is that people are able to us to get out of these groups it just makes it so much harder because community-wise, you've been take you, you're being removed from community from external communities really early, and also you're not 
being allowed to have, you know, soft skills like, um, you know, the things that you learn that just happen tangentially because you're at school, but also um, just having those qualifications so you can get any job outside of these groups. So I think that's just something that we always want to talk about, like the homeschooling problem, I suppose, because um, I think it's a problem across most groups and seems to be a rising problem. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe I don't know about the numbers since COVID, if more people have twigged onto that as being a, a quote unquote good idea, because they've seen they're able to do that and they're trying to do that. So we try and talk about that a lot. Um, and then also, yeah, talking to uh, women specifically about their experiences within these groups and how they are different, because a lot of the time, especially in the ex-JW um, community or within the witnesses, they, they are put in positions where they don't have the power and these systems create just for the, for the wrong people to have the power. And um, I think it's really important. And we've talked about before that a lot of the authors we speak to have actually been, I think, majority female. Mm. And we're asking, why do we think that is? And I think it's because their voices were taken away from them. And this is an, a moment where you can tell your story without being interrupted. You can put it on the page and people can read it. And those are the things for me. Those are my big three. <laughs> I, um, I, I'll, I'll offer one one data point related to that which is for for my show most of the people that come forward asking to be on the show are women mm -hmm. um so i have to work harder to get male guests basically mm -hmm. uh and the 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 other piece of that is i have the same pretty much the same conversion rate if i go out and ask someone if they'll be a guest it's usually about 50 50 50 yes or no mm -hmm. but it's the same from both men and women um, mm -hmm. so it does that there's that doesn't really change but in terms of the people coming forward there mm -hmm. they tend to be more women than men yeah yeah I've had more women come forward to me to ask to be on the show as well yeah, yeah just to tell their story um because obviously dad finds a lot of people and speaks to a lot because Twitter is a, is a vast well <laughs> of people mm -hmm. and their stories and um you've got a better Twitter than than, than me <laughs> but yeah when people reach out to me to ask to to be on the pod it's normally yeah the female sort of mm. representation yeah yeah i think that, that that's something we we've noticed and i'm going back to the first question that, that i asked about what we'd learned i feel like um i think we're all um all our group the representatives of the ex member groups that we we are here representing if you like um are all the same you know in fundamentalism women are uh, Christian uh, fundamentalism, women are second class, aren't they? And I, I guess it's the same for the Moonies and certainly. Oh Frankie. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and Frankie's experiences, which um, you'll hear on the, on our podcast um, shortly. But also, of course, head over to Frankie's own podcast; you can hear it there. But um, same, um, it seems to be that these groups tend more often than not to discriminate badly against against women so mm. yeah they are deeply patriarchal aren't they i mean yeah. look at the main three world uh, religions christianity judaism and islam yeah all three abrahamic faiths are basically built on a patriarchal yeah. model yeah. you know so yeah it's built into the dna of so many of these groups isn't it yeah yeah and then new age came along and said you know we're going to put women in charge but we're going to do the same damn thing that the men yeah. did mm -hmm. <laughs> wait a minute you're going to use the same doctrine Mm -hmm. uh, okay <laughs> something has not been learned <laughs> yeah, yeah 
Yeah. Um, I'm picking up on the um, the born-ins. I think that's something. So a lot of the classics. So you know, you think about Margaret Singer's book, um, Courts in Our Miss, and and other books like that. These books were written at a time when um, I think a lot of those, a lot of the, the the concern was of new age groups where people were being recruited into them. Yeah. You know, hippies, if you like, were being dragged into these groups, sucked in, and um being exploited and so that was the big concern parents losing their sons and daughters to these groups um that was the panic there um but of course you know and we talked to to elgin about this didn't we you know i I remember seeing huge wedding ceremonies with thousands of people in a football stadium um all getting married at the same time (laughs) You know, uh, fast forward 20 <laughs> yes. odd years, you know, yeah. you've got Elgin. <laughs> um, um, yeah, like, it, we're, yeah, like I was talking to someone about this, like, um, who was like, yeah, I remember the Mooney's back in the 80s and like in the 70s, like, but yeah. I, obviously, like all those marriages led to something and like, right. now here you are and there's thousands of you out there. But yeah, I think, well, maybe I think where you're going with this, Stephen, well, I hope, maybe not, but it's mm-hmm. like, I think, like, I think you're absolutely right. Like sort of the, maybe we're kind of at like the, the end of like the first wave of cult literature. Um, and that was all focused on the concerns of parents who saw their kids getting sucked into these, to yep. these groups. Now, fast forward, there's, there's thousands of us Moonies. There's hundreds of thousands of kids who grew up in all these, in all these things. But the, but the thing that's missing is that they don't have parents who are voicing their concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so no. you're kind of, you're missing, you're missing that layer of someone who's kind of like outside and like part of the, part of the 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 the, the structure of the so-called outside yeah. world there you're missing that right and so you feel like there's this 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 massive under underrepresented population not just in the movies but across all of these groups that no one's ever really done the work to raise the awareness of there's two well i look at it as like just two in america two whole generations the 60s and the 70s were so immersed in a cult some of them communes some of them Moonies, and that led to Moonies babies. It's not a cartoon, right? (laughs) And here we are generationally. So I would be first generation, but there's been, it's 50 years. So there's been multiple other generations from Morningland community and each of Mm -hmm. your churches. Like you say, and there is a lot of voices missing from the landscape. How can we get this full picture if if that's happening. And of course, you know, your generation, let's say, Stephen, your parents, you know, weren't were not exiting, they didn't speak out. So that whole uh, unaccounted for voice, my mother did speak out. And then we were silent for 35 years. So there's gaps, because it's so hard, you almost have to sustain yourself from the winds of torrential winds of trying to speak out because in my opinion, it's an inconvenient truth in general. None of these three letter agencies want to deal with cults. They're errant and difficult. They hope the cult deals with their own crazies and they don't because they are crazy. So if to me, the, the thing that's missing is that it hasn't been solved and it's, there's no coercion laws. You might have some in the UK that you're starting to, thank goodness. But the United States is like, no, these are grounds for um, good, obedient slaves. We don't want to stop this. Come on. Yeah. I've often 
meandered over, you know, who benefits from cults. Oh, no, well, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I think to your point, Frankie, like fundament, fundamentally, like the the legal framework, uh, certainly in the U.S. and in most other countries, just is, isn't equipped to deal with this. Um, you know, like religions just get a free pass on everything, including sure. you know, abusing kids, left and right labor trafficking, human trafficking, mm-hmm. sexual abuse. All this sort of stuff, they just get a free pass 95% of the time. And even when there's really bad stuff going on, the government doesn't even want to look under that rock because they're, they're, they're scared like of what that might shooting? Be. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And so a fundam, I think that like, yeah, you're kind of pointing, you mentioned like the three letter agencies in the US don't want to don't want to deal with it. And I think you're right. It's because the the foundations of the legal framework are scared to 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 deal with this. They're not equipped to, to deal with this problem and they're, they don't want to. I was dropped out of school and no one ever checked on me. And that was at age 16 forward. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. in a compound for six years after that. It's like, yeah. wait, no one came. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just one pound or a dollar fifty and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Clint, Clint, you got a point. No, I was just going to say, going off of Elgin's point, it can backfire, can it? Because, for example, the government got involved in the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. If you remember that story, I think it was back in the 1950s, I want to say. There was all these you know, concerns about these kids growing up in a polygamous Mormon cult. And they came in and separated a bunch of children. There was all kinds of allegations of yeah. sexual abuse and all the rest of it. And multiple marriages and young women being groomed and everything else. But that backfired because they didn't have their legal ducks in a row and they had to return all the kids and the cult, in a sense, won the legal yeah. battle as well as the PR battle. You know, so when they go, when they do, if and when they do go into some of these real extreme cult compounds, they've got to be mm-hmm. so careful. Look what happened to the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Even now, there's a lot of con- you know questions about how they did it, why they did it the way they yeah. did. They've got egg on their face, face even decades later yeah. for how they handled that whole thing. So when it comes to cults, the government is really leery uh, and just religion in general. I mean, look at the other day. We had that American football player that collapsed on the field in the game against the Buffalo Bills and the Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals. There was all this public prayers and thoughts. And, you know, some guy prayed on ESPN, which is an American sports channel, and that's received all these accolades, you know. So in America, Christianity is still the main dominant religion. Christian hegemony is such a problem. Uh, And even now they're still writing articles praising this guy for praying on live, you know, on the air for this this player. You know, so it just shows you how all pervasive religion can be. And Chris, sorry, Clint, um, to your point, I've recently been researching that every American president has been Christian Protestant, but two, Mm -hmm. JFK and our current president are Catholic. That's surprising. I accidentally stumbled on that fact. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? (laughs) You know, you think of us as, as so liberal. Every single president, you can Wikipedia this, has been Christian Protestant. Dominant much? 
Well, you have to be seen to be Christian for sure, because you know yeah. Donald Trump was the, the, the one exception. But even he went to Marblehead Church. You know, the power of positive thinking. He could claim to be a Christian, and everything yeah. else, but you have to say, yeah, you're a Christian for sure. And a pussy grabber. <laughs> so compatible, right? A new Christianity. Yeah, it's embracing right. of all. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we're we're coming to the end of our, well, we're we're past the end of our hour. Um, but I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, so we we're gonna need to do this again, I think. Uh, before we before we go, let's um let's on a bit end on a bit of a high in terms of uh, we don't, you know, we, we can't solve all of these problems, but what what can we as podcasters, but also what are we looking for from society? So how can we start to make things better? I mean, we're, we're doing something. We're, we've got a podcast each and we're, we're trying to heighten awareness. Um, what do we want, I suppose? And um, how, how can we go about getting some of that? Uh, let's start with you, Elgin. Um, I guess I would like um, a re-examination of um, the freedoms that, that, religions enjoy uh the protections that they enjoy i should i should say and and i'm a a re-examination of where the line is drawn between uh you know religion and enabling abuse um i think that's sort of a a, a big fundamental question that modern society needs needs to answer um and what i would really and that that's a that's a big long-term question uh ask of the world basically Um, if I could ask, ask a slightly, uh, maybe more achievable ask, uh, and this is, um, I guess, potentially specific to the Moonies, um, is I am, we've seen what's, ha- what's happened in Japan where the, 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 the killing of Shinzo Abe has led to this, uh, reexamination of the, the political influence grift that the cult has mm. in Japan. Uh, that same grift exists in the UK. It exists in the US. It exists in nearly every country in the world. And no one else is talking about it at all. And I've contacted journalists. Uh, I've tweeted about it. No one is writing shit about it. Um, and I would love to see journalists start to start to unpeel that. And if they want to, they can talk to me if they want, if, if they need, if they need some leads, but it's shocking to me that no one has, has connected those dots. It's something that um, Elgin um, love to get you on the podcast again to, okay. to go into a deep dive on that. Cause it's, um, it's a really interesting uh, okay. and yeah, shocking set of revelations there. Um, okay. Thank you very much. That sounds, yeah. sounds good. Um, Frankie, your, your thoughts. What do we want? How do we for, get it? Um, well, first of all, I sound, I feel like I'm in a protest. What do we want? <laughs> Change. When do we get it? Now. Oh, no, wait, not right now. But <laughs> in increments. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did grow up in the 60s. True confessions. First, I want to have Elgin and Clint on my podcast, if you would honor me. And, uh, okay. okay. Later, I did I interview Stevens. That will be airing. And um, obviously, Celine, open invitation. <laughs> amazing uh, perspective you bring to these conversations i really enjoy that because clearly your father had the wherewithal to get out and mm-hmm. gosh you know it's like the the prize is sitting right here it's, it's pretty cool um but i would like to look as the uk is doing to coercion laws being implemented in the united states i'm kind of tuned into that i'm hoping that it a trend uh is on the upswing for people being aware. Nexium, while it was, you know, clearly all adults, 
um, who entered a cult, they did, uh, it did bring a lot of awareness to people of the type of coercion that goes on, the type of sexual coercion that goes on in these groups, the type of financial abuse, which also the Abe shooting is really bringing up about the Moonies yeah. and their church in multiple countries. Yeah. And the, um, you know, just generally, it's not taken seriously. It's like I was trafficked in a cult. The um, cult broke up my family. The statute of limitations for all that took place has passed. What does a person do? Now in New York and the United States recently, they're dropping the statute of limitations for one year for people to uh, uh, report their sexual assaults with no time limit. I believe that's something that needs to be investigated. Why would there be a time limit? There's no time limit on the pain and the suffering that we all have to deal with. The fact that we don't fit into society and people go, listen, your message is too loud and difficult. I don't have a place for you. I'm like, that needs to change. And we're not all angry, you know? I mean, we're able to look at this, multiple people like me, like yourselves, we're able to talk about this, be asked questions. Society needs to stop being tragedy tourists and let mm -hmm. the victims and survivors speak. And let's get this party started. Obviously, groups like this is such an honor for me to be here and to represent the cult kids, to be taken seriously by you people who are so far ahead of me. Thank you. I, I from the bottom of my heart, this does get emotional because there's people suffering right now, kids that need rescuing. And of course, the people think, well, FLDS and this and this, you know, three names or whatever through the uh, documentaries on HBO and Netflix. But when do we get to the point where we can go into a school and warn people of cults mm -hmm. and not be afraid to upset religions, as Dr. Lawless said in the interview I did with her, she says, we can't do that. It's not allowed. And that's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like, it should be like, kids don't get into cars with strangers. Kids don't get coerced by strangers in any age in your life. So coercion, I believe, is the keyword uh, that I look forward to now after a year of doing this. I see there's nothing in place. If your family doesn't rescue mm -hmm. you, you're, you're kind of in trouble. And as you see on the Luz de Mundo case, on, um, let's see, Nexium, it was sex trafficking that got it, and also child pornography. Mm -hmm. So the labor trafficking, only one case in history, Nation of Islam, $8 million plaintiff, single mm. largest plaintiff ever in history. It yeah. set a precedent. That was 2019. So we are, we need to be louder. That's all, mm. I think. Okay. Just keep on going. I applaud everyone here. I want to physically do it. <laughs> I you, love Frankie. what's going on here. Same back Thank at you. you. Thank you very much, Frankie. Uh, Clint, your thoughts on that? What do we do? Well, kind of going off the back of what Elgin and Frankie have said, I'm encouraged. I know podcasting is not a new thing, is it? It's been around for a long time, but it is an alternative form of media, isn't it? In mm. in the sense that we can say, you know, our, our piece, we can get our words out there. We can get our voices out there. We can talk and communicate with people like the people that are on this panel right now and compare stories, share stories. And I know, and I'm sure we all have had feedback from listeners that we've had an impact on them. 
We absolutely have. Yeah, absolutely. I've just gotten a couple of emails in the last week or so from people that are listening to my series on this, Doug Wilson, and they're still evangelical Christians, you know, and they've mm-hmm. said what they appreciate is the sort of even-handed approach to it. It's researched, it's documented. I've got the receipts. I've done the work. And it's it's getting the word out there, warning people about the dangers of people like that, you know. So that's encouraging to me. Even I can, if just one person, you know, listens and is helped, even though they're still a Christian, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have an axe to grind there. But you know, so I think we're we're all doing the good thing in that sense that we're getting our words out there. And I applaud you and Stephen and Celine for putting this panel together. I'm I'm agreeing with Frankie. I want to have Elgin and. Frankie on on my show, we can do some collaboration for sure. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, this is great, and and I think this is why we we really wanted to do this. It's it's just been great to get you all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think w- one thing I just want to say, um, just feeding off from a lot of what's already been said, is that there's a there's there's some sort of legwork, if you like, to do around um, society understanding the the nature of the issue this is educational work i suppose that needs to be done and um, because then then we can put pressure on politicians to say you know this is something that we something must be done um and i think one of those things is that actually no organization has a right to belief um, we don't actually have any laws that gives organizations and religions the right to belief we we think that people should have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. Um, but that also includes the right to leave a particular belief. Mm-hmm. So when when organizations, when religions are claiming um, in the US, it's in the constitution, in the UK, it's in the legal system that, you know, that there is a right to religious belief. Absolutely. But that's individuals' right to believe whatever they want to believe, which includes saying, I don't believe that anymore, and I'm mm-hmm. going to leave and do so mm. with dignity. Um, and so we have to redress this balance where yeah. organizations claim, oh, we've got rights, we've got rights. But what about the rights of those children that are indoctrinated and put in these situations that no child should be put into um, and made to feel the way that we've all felt during our growing up periods and you know all of that. So yeah, we, we need to get that balance right and it isn't right so far. So for me, what what I want to do, and um, I think you know, we we continue to do is try to encourage people to understand that difference, um, and and then we can start to look at at laws um, to not to suppress belief, but to give more freedom actually to people so that they can leave as well as join. Um, so that's my little speech at the end of it. Um, Selena, have you got any closing words that you want to say? Um, yeah, I think it's very much echoing the same. We're all kind of coming from the same point and, sing, um, you know, singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak. Um, so, but yeah, it's, I think it's important, like, as I've said, for with the homeschooling thing, I think you can all tell, I think having kids in school is important because it means that, yeah, like Frankie was saying, kids can be advised and potentially shown those red flags that they might not otherwise see. Um or, you know, that might creep up in their lives. I think there is some hope for that if um, we want to end on a bit of a positive note. So um, in terms of in the UK, uh, in it's kind of being wrapped up as part of part and parcel of, with um, sex education to also talk about relationships now, not just 
biology, but the safety in relationships and knowing what a, what a good, healthy and safe relationship looks like. And I think, you know, that's transferable knowledge. Um, but hopefully as we get more comfortable talking to children about things like that, we might also be more comfortable talking to children about safety in other areas of life as well. So I'm hoping we're on a positive path um, and we're getting comfortable talking to kids about these things. I think we're currently a bit too uncomfortable about it, um, but it's important. And I guess I'm feeling positive that we're getting to a place where we're going to be able to talk to children about that and and provide them a bit more of a safety blanket. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a nice positive note to end on. Um, so for me, um, everybody, uh, Clint, Frankie, Elgin, Celine, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this evening. It's been really, really interesting and it's been great talking to everybody. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Cult Hackers is an Evil Sheep production. 